Good morning. Aren't you glad you didn't miss this morning? Isn't that great? Hearing what God's doing. God is active and alive and working and moving in lives. And man, what a, what a pleasure it is. What a privilege it is to be a part of what God is doing. I have a question for you this morning. And the question is this. Um, have you ever wondered why being a faithful Christian can be so challenging and difficult? I mean, think about it. Uh, sometimes, why, why does temptation have such an allure for us? Why is it so difficult? Why do we, we feel ourselves almost drawn sometimes to things that are not right? Um, why is it uh, that sometimes it, it feels like we have more of a struggle to be a good Christian than when we weren't believers at all? Have you, have you thought of that? And I understand, like when you weren't a Christian, God's spirit wasn't in you. You weren't sensitized to what God wants for you. You, you could sin without having a conscience that was as bad. I'm not saying you didn't have a conscience. But, but when you became a Christian, you had the Holy Spirit in you. And now it seems like sometimes doing right is harder and we're more sensitized to the challenge of that. Um, things that didn't bother us before now bother us. Things that we were oblivious to now we see as wrong and, 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 and some deeper lines drawn. And you thought perhaps becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, you wouldn't be tempted as much. You wouldn't be as selfish or as greedy or pride having a problem or immoral thoughts or anger or whatever it is. But you found that maybe some of those things didn't all disappear overnight. And there's a bit of a struggle you hoped that that would all be gone, but that wasn't the case. And if you have experienced that, I want to tell you that this is absolutely normal and natural. If you thought your faith would go uncontested, you're wrong. In fact, God warns us that we're in a battle. We're in a battle, to uh, a spiritual battle in terms of following Christ. And uh, we have, listen, a contested faith. Your faith, if you thought your faith wasn't going to be challenged, you have waken up to find out there is a battle. There is a struggle. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 6. He said this. He comes to the end of this beautiful, beautiful letter. Uh, I mean, it is so rich and so full of theology and practical things and it comes to the end of the letter and here's what he says as he begins to wrap it up he says finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against authorities against the powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He said, look it, you're in a battle. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you are in a battle, you're in a struggle. Your faith is going to be challenged and tested and contested. And uh, you come to, come to this place where we recognize that there's this battle and it, it's not, he says, it's not a flesh and blood kind of thing. He said, it's not the kind of thing that is a mere physical battle. 
It's a spiritual battle, and it's a spiritual, it's a cosmic battle also, he tells us. He says this is against demonic forces, intent on thwarting what God wants to do in our lives. That there is this unseen, invisible uh, force that is operational in this world, negatively influencing people against God and institutions and philosophies and all the rest of those things. So Paul says, you're going to get some uh, pushback when you choose to follow Jesus Christ. When you say yes to him, um, it's, not gonna, it's not just uh, like there won't be any challenge or difficulty. There are forces that are going to challenge your faithfulness, and they're going to try uh, various approaches to hinder your spiritual walk. None of us gets a free pass in this way. Now, when we think of warfare, uh, just in general, in the world, uh, we think of warfare uh, predominantly in three different theaters. Uh, one of them is um, in the air. You've got the Air Force fighting uh, for that space. You've got the Navy and what's on the water. And then you've got what's on land with... Uh, um, uh, all kinds of uh, machinery and tanks and, and whatnot. That three different theaters are, are all being used or, or uh, uh, being applied in terms of a fight. Now, I want to tell you that the Bible speaks about spiritual warfare. And again, there are really three different uh, platforms, three different um, areas or theaters where we will uh, be confronted with challenge and struggle. The first is Satan and his demons. Um, we're going to be looking at this this morning. But uh, God says that Satan and the demons aligned with him are going to fight against us, work against us. Um, they're employed against us. Another theater, he says, is the world. The world. Now, the world is that, that system uh, that anti-God environment in which we live that seeks to in- infect us and affect us and uh, have us, uh, it- it's pervasive all over the world. Um, it-, it militates against us. It saturates the world with things that are against God's truth and God's plan. It's values that are not God's values. It's, it's, we see it through politics and education and philosophy and we're inundated. It's everywhere. And he calls that the world. And the third one he calls is the flesh. And um, the word flesh is learned, used in different ways in the, uh, in the Bible, in the New Testament particularly. But, but it had a certain connotation, a certain use, uh, use that, uh, that, it was, uh, that the uh, New Testament writers do. And that is that it's the part of us, part of us that fights what God wants to do with us. He calls it the flesh. We have these fleshly desires. We have these fleshly uh, appetites inside us that don't necessarily, that, that aren't what God wants. And so they war against us. So here we are, and, and we've got a struggle. We've got Satan and demons. We live in this world environment, and we've got some stuff going on inside that all make it difficult. And uh, so I, as we examine this and, and we start today talking about Satan, I, I want to tell you that don't get discouraged. We're on a winning side, 
But I want to begin to lay this out for you so you understand what's happening in your life. Why there's a struggle. Why there's a propensity sometimes to do wrong. Why there's a sense of attack in your life even. And uh, this morning we're going to uh, begin uh, two messages that we're going to help to understand how Satan and his demons work in the world um, and in, our, uh, in, in this uh, life. Now, to understand demons... It's going to be instructive for us to understand angels, and uh, we'll develop this for you. So the question is, what is angels? What are angels? Angels are uh, spiritual beings who have moral judgment and intelligence. They're powerful, um, but they're spirit beings, so they don't have bodies, and they are intelligent, and they are moral beings. There's a sense of right and wrong. They're not amoral in that sense. And uh, they, are, they have no physical bodies. They can't see. Uh, they are invisible. In fact, in Colossians 1.16, uh, talking about Jesus, it said, For in him, that in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So now, um, here, here it is. God created things that are unseen. I'm, I'm going to tell you through everything we see, there's something behind it that's unseen. God has created the seen things, but he's also created the unseen things. And one of the unseen things are angels and, um, and demons, things that we can't see, things that we can't put our hands around. God created them. Now, the question is, when did God create angels? Well, it seems to me that at the end of day six, God makes a judgment, an evaluation of what he's done uh, in terms of his creative work. And he sees what he's created, and uh, he says everything was good. Um, in Job chapter 38, we have uh, this, this statement. Job, God has spoken to Job at the end of the book of Job. And he says to, he says to Job, um, after Job has complained about God, where, where are you and all the pain in my life? And he says, all right, where were you, Job? All right, you wanted to, you wanted to go one-on-one with me. You wanted to challenge me. Okay, here I am. Uh, Job, where were you? And he begins to talk about his work of creation. And when he gets down to verse 6, he says, he's, he's talking about the footings, uh, uh, when God laid the footings for the earth and, and for the universe. He said, uh, on what were its footings set or who laid its cornerstone? Uh, in other words, Job, smart guy, tell me how I did all this. Were you there when I did this? Um, and then he says this, well, the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. So sometime during that week of creation, God created angels. Perhaps it was right near the start. He doesn't tell us when, but we see them in God's creative work, rejoicing uh, and praising God for his creative handiwork. But he saw that everything was good. Now, angels are powerful beings, and, and uh, rarely, but sometimes they take on a physical body. Uh, you'll remember that... Uh, uh, in uh, Luke chapter 2, at the announcement of the birth of Christ, the shepherds are out in the field, and a host of angels appeared to them in the sky. 
Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. And, and so sometimes angels would take on a, uh, a physical presence. And, you know, each time that happens, uh, people are freaked out by it. Angels, they, they come and, and sometimes they're in gleaming clothes and they're big and powerful and, and intimidating. Um, we remember at the, resu- at the resurrection, there are two angels at the tomb. And when, when the ladies come, they're, they're frightened. Where, where have they taken him? And they speak to them. And so angels sometimes take on physical bodies. And what, what do angels do? Well, they worship God. We see over and over in the Bible. We see in, Acts, in, in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 6. The, 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 the seraphim are declaring, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they keep reciting, Holy, holy, holy. They worship God. They were created to worship God. We go to the end of the Bible and we see in... in um, Revelation 4 and 5, we see the four living creatures that we see all these angels, 10,000 times 10,000 of them, all worshiping God together. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they're declaring his worthiness. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and on and on. In fact, we even see something that the angels do in heaven. Okay, and and. The angels, do you know the angels were partying it up this morning when we had our baptismal service in, in Luke chapter 5? When a sinner turns to Christ, there's a party in heaven and the angels rejoice in God. In Hebrews 1 and verse 6, it says this. Again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he said, let all God's angels worship him. They are worshiping beings. And um, they're also called to guard and protect God's people. In Psalm 91 and verse 11, it says this. For he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. You know, Satan used that expression. Used that on Jesus in the temptation. Hey, Satan says to Jesus, hey, you know, you don't have to go through the cross and all of this kind of stuff. Just bow down to me, worship me, and, uh, and uh, you'll, uh, you, you'll find that uh, you don't have to do that, and I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you planet Earth. He says, um, uh, you, know, you know what it says in Scripture, Jesus? What, what, he, he takes him up on the temple. Cast yourself down, because your angels won't let your, your foot be hit, hit on a stone. They care for God's people. They guard and protect them. Uh, we see Jesus, uh, particularly in the temptation with that. In Hebrews 1 and 14, we're told that they're ministering spirits. Hebrews, Hebrews 1 and verse 14. Have we got that? He'll command, uh, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Did you know God sends them to serve his people? Uh, to care for them. Uh, I, you know, I've often wondered... Where God may have dispatched angels in my life to protect me that I was never ever aware of. And angels bring messages from God to people as well. In the book of Luke, we have the story of of, uh, Jesus in his birth. And before that is the story of Zechariah, who's in the temple offering incense. 
and an angel shows up with a message for him. That though they have not been able to have children, they're going to have a child. And his name would be John and what he would do. The angel Gabriel goes to Mary in chapter 1 of Luke. And says, uh, Hail Mary. Uh, You know, God has a message for you. You're going to bear the Messiah of the people. So sometimes um, God disperses them for that purpose. But you say, well, well, wait a minute. Where do we get demons? Where do the demons come up? Well, we said the angels were sometimes in creation week, uh, probably created at that point. But when we get to Genesis 3, what we find out is, mm, we have Satan, who is, um, he is uh, masquerading as uh, an animal that is speaking, and, and he he uh, reaches out to Adam and Eve to try and get them uh, to go against God, to rebel against God. And uh, so we, we see at that point that there is somehow there is a rebellion in heaven. When Satan and a pile of angels said, we want to do our own thing. And so they, uh, they leave the worship of God. Jude 6 tells us this. Jude 6, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on that great day. Somewhere in between uh, Genesis 3 and Genesis 2, there was a rebellion in earth, uh, uh, in heaven, and and Satan uh, inspired a whole pile of others uh, to follow him in rebellion against God. And when they did that, uh, their fate was sealed. It hasn't been delivered, but it was sealed. And so we have now this organized group of, uh, of different ranks of angels uh, and, or, or demons. There are ranks of angels and demons. And uh, there are principalities and powers. There are, there are different levels of demonic uh, spirits, all led under Satan. So now we've got um, this rebellion against God. And what is, their, what is their purpose? Their purpose, in essence, is to do everything that angels, every, not to do anything that angels are supposed to do. They oppose God at every turn. They try to thwart his plan. They're inherently evil. They look to destroy and to kill. They deceive, they steal, they turn from God, they seek uh, to render Christians fruitless, uh, they promote pride and envy and slander and they, uh, confusion, they inspire everything that is wrong and vile, they try to teach people to believe a lie, they killed Jesus. Do you remember what happened? Satan had put it in, uh, in the heart of a follower of Jesus, Judas Iscariot, so that while they were having the Last Supper, if you can believe it, he's going away. He's bartered 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus to the leaders. It says Satan prompted him to do that. Um, and, and so here we have everything that is wrong and hurtful, fearful, everything that promotes hatred, promoted by these demons and by Satan. But I want you to know they have limitations. There are 
weaknesses that they have. The story of Job, if you haven't read it, is fascinating. It happens in the Old Testament just before Psalms. And uh, what happens is God uh, is in heaven and Satan comes and presents himself before God. And God says to Satan, Satan, have you seen my servant Job? There's nobody like him who is righteous and, and who, who follows me in, 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 in such a, a wonderful and beautiful way. And Satan says, well, that's a no-brainer. Uh, look at what you've done for him. Look at, look at what you've done. You've poured out blessing upon him. There's nobody with more wealth than him in the ancient world. There's nobody who has more than him. He's got everything. Why wouldn't he, why wouldn't he be faithful? Why wouldn't he do that uh, and live that kind of life? And, uh, and so in, in, uh, in Job 1 and verse 12, it says this. The Lord said to Satan, okay, very well. Everything he has is in your power, but the man himself do not lay a finger. So he said, look it, you think that he, he does this just because of, just because I, I'm, I've blessed him materially. I've blessed him every way. Okay, I, I'll, you can touch what he has. There you go. But you can't touch his life. Do you, do you see something very important here? Satan doesn't have the power to do whatever he wants. Satan doesn't have that kind of authority. He has to respond to God. So, Satan, so what, what Satan does is Satan lays uh, a, a terrible tragedy on the family. All of his livestock... Thousands and thousands and thousands of, of beasts. All of his servants, gone, killed. His children, ten children, were banqueting in the oldest son's house. And Satan sent this wind that came through and toppled everything and killed them all. And Job is understandably just heartbroken about all of this. Everything's happened. And his wife is chirping at him. Uh, and, 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 and he says this, the Lord gives, the, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Satan comes to present himself again before uh, God. And God says, have you seen my servant Job? There's nobody like him. Oh, yeah, well, that's easy for you to say because you haven't touched his body. You touch his body and he'll turn against you. And here's what, uh, here's what in chapter 2, here's what... Uh, the Lord says, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So he's going to pour out on poor Job physical infirmity where he's got, he's got sores, weeping sores from the crown of his head to the, the soles of his feet. I want you to notice, he couldn't do anything without the permission of God. Satan is, Satan is not, um, we'll see, he is not all-powerful. God is omnipotent. Satan is not omnipotent. Demons are not omnipotent. Satan can only go as far as he's permitted. Uh, and uh, I, uh, he, he also, he not only does not uh, have all power, he's not omniscient. 
He doesn't know everything. He doesn't know what you're thinking. He doesn't know what the thoughts in, in your mind are. God does. God knows everything about everything. He doesn't know the future, aside from what the Bible says. He doesn't, he doesn't know any of that. He's limited. And uh, when you see D- Jesus' confrontation with demonic uh, uh, figures in the, in the Gospels, you'll see that every time they, they uh, bow down to Jesus, they obey Jesus, they have no other uh, recourse but to do exactly what Jesus said because they don't have power. They have to be obedient to Jesus. Um, as formidable as they are, they have limitations. And they're also defeated as well. You see, they, uh, Satan has had access to heaven. In fact, he's called, uh, he is uh, called an accuser of the brothers and sisters. He, he tries to speak against Christians. Yeah, look at Kevin Rutledge, pastor of a church. Oh, yeah, see the attitude he has? Hey, tell me that's, he's an accuser. Um, but there is a battle in heaven. In Revelation chapter 12, we see this. Then war broke in, uh, out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon, uh, and, the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. And the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Messiah, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God, day and night has been hurled down, and they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. He was thrown out. He was overcome. God's angels fought with him, threw him out of heaven, and put him down. And the people that he went to terrorize on earth, they had victory through the blood of the Lamb. In Colossians 2, 13 and 15, we we read this. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So what happened uh, was... Satan wanted to, 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 to kill Jesus, which he did. And, and what happened was what he was wanting to happen got totally turned on its head. And, and here we have now uh, God's people forgiven. And, and all of our sins and, and the law that condemned us was nailed to the cross. And, and instead of that, he, his power was disarmed. He lost at Calvary. God resurrected him from the dead. God's people will have that kind of authority. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, he has been defeated once and for all. But wait a minute. Um, 
although he's been defeated. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. And he has put everything under his feet. And yet it says in Romans 16, it's coming. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He he's, he's continues to work. He's been defeated, but that defeat won't be fully appreciated until we see what happens in his end. And this is uh, the end of Satan and the demons. Jesus is speaking about the end of the age. Uh, in, in Matthew 25, he says that uh, what, what God is going to do, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. The goats are non-believers. The sheep are his people. People who've heard his voice, who've responded, put their faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and he'll separate them, and he's going to judge those that are not his own. And in Matthew 25, speaking about the goats, he says this. Then he'll say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So he's saying, here's what's going to happen to him. He will be eternally judged. He'll be cast into this lake of fire, and that's where he will be forever with all of his demons. In Revelation chapter 20, we have this happening. Uh, And it says this, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So he is a foe. He's a foe who has been defeated, but he's a foe also whose end will be eternal judgment. But if you're on God's side, you're on the victory side. You see, we're victorious And here is our victory, and I want to encourage you with this. Um, There is for us an unseen protection. There is an unseen protection. There are things that are going on in, in the invisible world that we don't know, we don't understand, we can't figure out. We're told that it's happening, and, uh, and, but we don't understand everything that's going on. But here and there, God pulls back the curtain a little bit and shows us something of this unseen world and the cosmic struggle that's involved there. Uh, Daniel was given a, a message uh, from the Lord a revelation, a vision of a great war. And he was, he was to share this, but he couldn't. Uh, for three weeks, he ate nothing. He fasted that time away, and he met an angel who was a fearsome, um, a fearsome uh, sight, caused him to tremble, to, to fall on the ground, and to tremble on his hands and his feet. And he explained something of this resistance by a uh, prince of Persia. And in Daniel 10, we have these words. Then he continued, Do not be, the angel is speaking to Daniel, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God. Your words were heard and I've come in response to them. He's prayed and this angel has come in response to him. But the prince of Persia, of the Persian kingdom, resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. He said what happened was there was a ruling evil spirit that had kept me from coming there. And there was a 21-day battle uh, with this prince of Persia, this demonic force uh, that was preventing God's work from happening. And uh, he says 
uh, it's okay, that's over now, that, has, that battle has been, been won. But you see, behind, in, in things that we can't understand that are happening, in high places, in governments, in, in, in institutions, that there, there are things that where, where Satan and his enemies are working. And here is Michael, the archangel, that strong angel, uh, has victory and allows God's plan to go forward. Um, Hezekiah was in a terrible state. Hezekiah was, uh, was, uh, had the Assyrian Empire on his doorstep. They'd surrounded Jerusalem. Uh, people were looking and seeing the hordes of this major world power, the Assyrian Empire. There they were, uh, 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 a, uh, an army of about 185,000 soldiers. And they're taunting God's people. And they're saying, look, you surrender yourself and everything you have to us or we'll come through. And just like we've done everybody else, we're going to do to you and we'll wipe you out. And, and Hezekiah was just overcome with, with fear and grief. He calls the prophet Isaiah and together they pray and they call out to the Lord. And uh, they don't know what to do. All they can do is pray at this point. And um, here's what it says in Second Chronicles. King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz, cried out in prayer to, the, to heaven about this. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the commanders and the officers in the camp uh, of the Assyrian king. So he withdrew to his own land in disgrace, and when he went into the temple of his God, some of his sons, his own flesh and blood, cut him down with the sword. He didn't know what to do. They went to bed that night, and they said, God, we, you know, we're just calling out upon your name to help us to do something. And God did something. One angel slayed 185,000 soldiers. There's something going on. There's something going on in the unseen world that we're not uh, totally aware of. There's something that, was, that happened in the northern kingdom of Israel. That was the southern kingdom. Aram was at war with Israel. Elisha the prophet uh, was operational in this time of Israel's history. And what would happen was they were trying to kill the king of Israel. But the Lord would tell Elisha, where, what the, uh, what the uh, Aramean soldiers were going to do and where they're going to be, and he would move every time. So this perplexed the, uh, the king of, of Amran. And what he said was this, is somebody, somebody must be from in our ranks leaking what we're trying to do. So everybody said, no, we're not, we're not doing it. It's Elisha the prophet. He speaks and tells the king what to do and where to go to stay away from you. And so uh, what happened was they found out where Elisha was. And they said, well, we need to kill Elisha. He's the problem. He's holding us back here. So they go. And uh, when they wake up in the morning, Elisha's servant comes petrified. He said they're surrounded the whole city. Uh, th- this mammoth group of people in, in Dothan, they, they surrounded it by night. His servant wakes in, in, in fear. And here's what it says in 1 Kings. 
When the servant of the man got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Here's what, the, here's what Elisha says. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What are you talking about? Those who are with us. We got nobody. We've got nobody. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots and a fire all around Elisha. Do you know what that was? It was an angel army of God's people. He couldn't see it. All he could see was the enemy. All he could see was we're doomed. And Elisha prays, open his eyes so he can see. That in the midst of this, God is here with an army of angels. And, and uh, you, can, you can read the rest of that account. But he blinds them. And he leads them all right into, the, uh, into Samaria, into the capital of the uh, northern kingdom. And in fact, they spare their lives and send them away. See, you know what? There's stuff that's going on in your life and you, need, you don't understand that there's, there's something going on that you can't see. But you need to know that God has angels that he dispenses and disperses for his purpose. And, and oh, that God would give us an understanding that there is something beyond what we have. There is a whole unseen world uh, of God's angels working against what the enemy would do. Our victory. You know, God grant us to understand we're on the winning side. There's the supremacy of God. I love Psalm 2. Psalm 2 talks about um, why do the nations rage? And why, why do the peoples imagine a vain thing? They, they've come for the Lord and his anointed. And you know what God's response is? He laughs. He laughs in the heavens. Oh, all the nations are aligning, the, aligning themselves against me. Ha, that's ridiculous. That's so funny. Because I am supreme and I have all power. And you, you realize that when you come to the end of Revelation, you see that everything that is wrong and all of the demonic activity uh, is put down and, and once and for all. God is the supreme ruler of everything. Uh, demons, Satan, everything, they are all vanquished. And in the end, we have an ultimate victory. An ultimate victory. And here it is. Uh, Romans 8. We read it this morning. What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Next. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the past, uh, the future, or any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus, Christ Jesus our Lord. We're on the winning side um, now, there's so much more to say, and I'm going to look at the particulars, but I wanted to do this big picture for you, that you would know that God has defeated all of the powers of Satan. We stand in victory. We are, the Bible calls us overcomers, and uh, he can't 
Uh, Nothing can take that away from us. Let's pray. Our Father, we need to be aware that there is a whole other world out there of unseen things where angels and demons are operational. Lord, we thank you that you are supreme, that you are the ruler, that you have all power and all wisdom and all knowledge. You know the end from the beginning. We know these things will come to pass because you have ordained that they will and you will guide all of history to the demise of Satan and everything that is evil and bad. In the meantime, Lord, we are, we are called to live in this world where we will at times have struggles and battles. Lord, help us not to, to be discouraged. Help us not to lose heart and faith. But help us to stand uh, in, the power, in your power, the power of your might, that you would help us to understand how we uh, counteract the attacks that may come against us. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us, that you would guide us, that you would uh, strengthen us in you. Help us to understand that there is a whole unseen world that is working on your behalf, in, uh, on our behalf. And Lord, may we take great comfort knowing that you are victorious and in, in, in you we are victorious as well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.